And good morning, Shavua uh, Tov, on to our dear listeners, Jerut Radio, and we are Sunday morning. As usual, we have the way with Parashat HaShavua through the eyes of Rabbi Avigdor Miller with uh, Sam Gindi. Sam Gindi, good morning, and it's really great to see you here and our small, cozy uh, studio and warm now. <laughs> Outside is a little bit chilly, right? It's such a privilege and a pleasure to be here, Nisim. You don't know how happy I am to see you and uh, to be able to uh, be given the privilege to speak to all our uh, thousands of Jewish listeners out there, maybe tens of thousands. We really, uh, we just do the Hishtad Lut and we do the, uh, we, we put it out on the airways and uh, you never know where the dots, darts are going to land. Uh, but we've gotten a lot of feedback over here and uh, thank God uh, the people love the music and they love the Bere Torah and all the things that we've been doing that Nisim has been set, putting out there to the Klal Yisrael. And it's all from Ahava, and we're Mekarev people, and uh, and uh, this is the power of the media that we can use for our benefit. Now, in the beginning of the show, uh, uh, Nisim said the, the name of the show is Through the Eyes of Avigdemila, Rabbi Avigdemila, Zichron Levracha. Now, lately, in the last uh, two, three years, there's been a tremendous explosion uh, of the Torah of Avigdemila through a, an organization called Torah Sabigdor. They're sending out uh, emails, they're sending out uh, pamphlets in the shuls, and uh, uh, Amichai Markowitz is doing a tremendous job in doing this work, and uh, he's spending 30, 40 hours a week putting this together, and he deserves a chazaka baruch, no question about that. And people are talking, people all over the world are talking about Rabbi Avigdemila 17 years after he passed away. It's a, it's, a, it's a phenomenon, actually a phenomenon. Um, so we, we uh, tip our hats to him and we give thanks, and people are uh, uh, flocking, and we're, uh, the, the organization, the uh, Simchat Rahim, is uh, continuing to uh, translate uh, his tapes and, into books. Uh, he's done the Chavotel of about five volumes already. Mesilai Sharim first volume is already out, and uh, there's no end to the uh, Sefarim that will be, uh, can be, and will be. Uh, uh, translated and trans transmitted uh, 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 by de Miller. Okay, so we are learning, we are living with the Parashat Shavua. A Jew lives with the Parashat Shavua. Teach you that from first grade, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. They teach you the Parashat Shavua, and and this is this is what keeps us. One of the things that keep us together. We can we can discuss it with our children with our grandchildren, amongst ourselves. What are we discussing every week? We're discussing the Parashat Shavua. So, of course, the last few weeks, we're talking about Mitzrayim. The whole focus has changed over from the Avot, from the creation, to the Avot, to uh, Yosef HaSadik, Shalom, who brought us safely over into Mitzrayim. And now we are dealing with, uh, now we are, the Hashem is dealing with in his Torah. He's, he's describing in detail, in great detail, the Sheabud, uh, the enslavery of the Jewish nation in Misraim, and uh, how Hashem has pl his plans. His plans, of course, is the ultimate plan. The ultimate plan is to get us on Har Sinai and give us the Torah. That's the plan. That was the plan. The plan from the beginning of creation. Yom Hashishi, that's Shesh Besivan. Yom Hashishi, Shesh Besivan. That's the sixth of Sivan. That's the Matan Torah. That's the Shabuot holiday. That's Matan Torah. That's the plan from the beginning. And all the rest of the stuff that Hashem is bringing is just a, it, it, not just as it's it is Kamala Torah, certainly, but it's all a, a, pre, a, pre, a preface for the plan of bringing 
the Torah to Am Yisrael. So over here, we're in the midst of the prosdor. Prosdor, that's the vestibule. That's the preface. And the vestibule is very important. You can't uh, shrug off. You got to study the vestibule very carefully. Because Hashem put that vestibule, put that prosdor in the Torah in order for us to study. You can't remove any of those details. Every single one of them is needed. Because how do we know that? Because Hashem put them there. So we have been, uh, uh, we've been at, now parashiyot. We know that uh, the Bnei Yisrael were uh, enslaved. Moshe Rabbeinu was in the palace. He came out of the palace by Yitzel Echav, and uh, he killed the Egyptian. Then he ended up uh, saving Sipora uh, from uh, from uh, some uh, ruffians, and uh, he ended up marrying Sipora. He showed his chesed, the midat of chesed. Then Hashem talked him from the burning bush, and all these things led up to Moshe Rabbeinu, at 80 years old, being told by Hashem to go down to Paro. And go tell them, Beni Bechori Yisrael. Go tell Paro, this Rasha, this murderer. He was no less than Hitler. He, he killed babies with their blood and then he and he and he and he bathed in their blood. What kind of human being can do such a thing? That's not a human being, that's a monster. Monster. So and he 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 put the children in bricks in the walls. Children, bricks in the walls. Monster. So there are monsters like that. This is the, the this is the model of the monster. Paro was the model of all the monsters that came after him. And well, well, well. The question over here, just a quick question, is how what what produces such a monster? That's a big question. Yeah, we got to go back and see what produces such a, 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 a monster. There's no other better word for it uh, of a person like that. Cruel, torturous, mean. No feelings for people, nothing. What produces such a thing? Now, some people maybe they want to go back, go to uh, call up uh, Sigmund Freud and find out what he has to say about that. And he'll come up with all kinds of theories that'll say it wasn't his fault. Maybe his mother smacked him around a little bit. You know, his daddy maybe didn't pay attention to him or uh, maybe uh, they didn't diaper him like the way he needed to be diapered. All kinds of reasons that Sigmund Freud will point to that it's not the guy's fault, you know. It's not his fault. It's not Paro's fault that he uh, murdered people. It's his parents' fault. Maybe it's his Rebbe in the school's fault. It's everybody's fault but his. That's what they want to do. They want to shrug it off to everybody else. So we have to know, again, we have the Bechirach of Sheet. End of the day, I'm not saying these things aren't uh, influential. Sure. But at the end of the day, we have the, we have the free will and the choice to do it or not to do it. Paro didn't have to uh, kill babies with their, take their blood and, and, and bathe in that. He had that free will to do such a thing. But he didn't or throw babies into the Nile River. How did he do that? Throw babies into the Nile River. Unbelievable thing. What a cruelty. So again, let's turn back and try to uh, analyze it for a second. It's not the full anal analyzation, surely, but uh, it's, it's a partial analyzation. How, what makes a person so cruel like Paro? Big, big question. So, so an answer that I heard one answer, I heard it from the rabbi, uh, from, he brings from Josephus, actually. Josephus brings from Berezos the Chaldean, Chaldean Ur-Kazdin. He was an old ancient historian. And, and, and he noticed that the, 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 he brought us by Abraham Abinu. When Abraham Abinu went down to Misraim, as we remember, he went down there because there was a Ra'ab in the land, there was a famine. They went down to Mitzrayim to get food. And, you know, Paro, 
They kidnapped the Sarah, his wife. Nice guys, you know, they kidnapped somebody's wife. Uh, and, and they gave him to the king. And, 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 and Hashem came to uh, Abraham's rescue and he sent Negaim. He sent uh, Makot on Paro, which is a, certainly a, a portent to the Eser Makot, as Ramban tells us. These Negaim. And also, so, so in any case, so the Josephus bringing from Berezos, the Chaldean, says that uh, when Abraham Avinu left Misraim, you have to know some things changed amongst the Egyptians. This is a big chidush now you're hearing over here. First of all, the Egyptians in those days, they used to have human sacrifice. Nice guys, you know, they have human sacrifice. They have, uh, you know, that fun. You know, those, those places of human sacrifice, I don't want to tell you what they did. They did some very ugly things besides human sacrifice because they had no morals. There was no morals over there with human sacrifice. So I don't want to say it on the radio, and I won't say it, but they did uh, very bad things over there along with the human sacrifice because, you know, they're having a good time. They're having fun. <laughs> it's a fun thing, fun time. It's a good day at the movies, like, you know? So so, uh, so, so what happened? When Abraham Avinu left Mitzrayim, and it's brought down again by Josephus. First of all, Abraham Avinu taught the Mitzrim mathematics and algebra and architecture. All the math, all the things that we uh, give credit to the Mitzrim, how they built the pyramids with the architecture and the mathematics, Pythagorean thing, theorem and all that stuff, it was given to them by our forefathers. He taught it to them. Abraham Avinu, the great genius, uh, he's the one that taught it to the Mitzrayim. But more importantly than that, when he left Mitzrayim, human sacrifice ceased in Mitzrayim. Shh, unbelievable. Abraham Avinu, our great father. The more, we, the more you dig, the more you learn about Abraham Avinu, his greatness was unending. It was in Lokets. So he he was able to disseminate the uh, the, the, the chesed that he always uh, taught, and and they stopped human sacrifice in Egypt. But further, we want to know how did Paro get so cruel? The, the one we have now in our, in our uh, Parashat Shavua, actually all they were all cruel, but what, what, was the, what was the root of it? So they tell you over here that you are what you worship. Paro worshiped the asp, the baboon, and the crocodile. Now these things aren't such uh, kindly animals. The asp, that's a snake. Snake is a poisonous snake. They bite, they kill people. The baboon, not so, not such a, such a uh, kindly animal neither. And the, and, the, and the crocodile, I don't got to tell you about the crocodile. So when you worship, when a person worships these kind of things, they become like that. And that became the nature of these goyim. These Egyptians became that nature. They were very cruel. And that's one of the reasons that we're saying over here that Paro was able to do the cruel things that he did. So again, we are studying the Esen Makot and our parashiot over here. And the main purpose is in order to that we should put this dot in our blood. Now, we have to know that Hashem, the Esen Makot really, as we always say, is the are ten large volumes of Emunah. Ten large volumes of Gemara, of Shas. Each one needs to be studied. The vitamin pills of Emunah, that's how the rabbi used to say it. Vitamin pills of Emunah. Dam is emuna, sefardea is emuna, kinim is emuna, and we need all those ten vitamin pills of emuna in order to prepare us for the great big giant vitamin pill, which is matan Torah, which is the greatest miracle of all time. 
that Hashem should talk to us, that God should talk to three million people from Har Sinai, and we should hear him the first two of the Aser de Birot, that is the that's the greatest miracle of all time. So now, and that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu should bring down the Torah from Shemayim. Okay, this we needed all this, all this preparation. So over here we're we're understanding that Hashem is thinking about the Makot constantly, since they are inscribed in the Torah, and that's how Hashem's thoughts. The Torah is what Hashem is thinking, and this is in our this we should have this in our in our heads. So that means when we think about the locusts, like in our parasha, we have now the last three other makot over here. When we think about that, we are thinking like Hashem. And we're emulating Hashem on the highest level in his mind. We're emulating Hashem's mind in his thoughts. That's for halakta bidrachav. Now, we're gaining thereby yirat shamayim, awareness, emunah hushit, and sensory perception. The makot are the great vehicle that Hashem is using to strengthen the emunah of the Jewish people at this time and prepare them for Matan Torah. As we said, they have they have also strengthened our emunah for all time. You have to know that whatever's happening over there in the Chumash we're reading is not just for that time. It's been Nesach Nesachim. It's forever. When we have the Makah Pechorot, all the Makot that Hashem saved the Jewish people, passed over the Jewish people, not just at that time 3,300 years ago. He's been passing over us. The Malach HaMavet, the Mashchit, has been passing over us. We're still here, aren't we? He's been passing over us for 3,300 years. Even though Every generation, they're trying to stamp us out, snuff us out, step on us, kill us. You know, I was reading this uh, weekend a uh, religious uh, history book. Uh, Good, great history book on the history of the Jewish people. It goes by year by year. Fantastic book. And after a while, I, I, I had to close it up. I had to close the book because I was going through the like the 1100s or 1200s. Every single year, 100 Jews were slaughtered. 200 Jews were slaughtered. 50 Jews. They, they, they made them wear a badge. They made them wear a hat. They made the Jews, uh, they kicked them out of England. They kicked them out of France. Every year. It was nonstop. Nonstop persecution. How we how we we able to uh, to uh, continue after all this nonstop pressure? Of course, a lot of some Jews converted, some Jews died instead of converted. But when you read the history, it was I don't know. We we don't feel it today because in the last hundred years, two hundred years, we don't have such a persecution unless you live through I don't know maybe the Nazi persecution. But Baruch Hashem, we don't have these. But it it it, it, it it's it's incumbent upon us to look back and see. What our fathers and forefathers and the Jewish people have gone through, blood libels and, and poisoned the well and all kinds of lies and all kinds of, I mean, it's, I don't, it's, it's hard to believe. The Inquisition, Inquisition, they burned Jews. Even before the Inquisition, they burned, they, they burned Jews, they burned Sefer Torah. It was like the wild, wild west. And all, they weren't burning uh, Irishmen, they weren't burning Italians. They're only burning Jews. So we have to look at this here very carefully. We're still here by, uh, by the, only by the grace of God that he's uh, watched over us and cared for us and uh, protected us. So over here, um, of course, we're talking about all the Esen Makot, and we have to know the truth is Hashem doesn't like to uh, alter nature 
and do open miracles, like these ten makot, especially like kill, killing the firstborn. Of course, he hides it every time. Like, for example, when he brought the Arbeh, we're going to learn about the Arbeh. Now, Hashem didn't have to bring a wind. I think he needed a wind. I think he needs a wind to bring the Arbeh. Torah says he brings a wind. He brought a heavy wind. You think Hashem needed Aaron to bring a stick to hit the water to turn it to blood? He didn't know a stick. What's, this, what's with the stick business? He doesn't need a stick. All these things Hashem brings in order to hide the miracle, hide the miracle somewhat. Of course, it's still not hidden, but he wants to hide it at least a little bit. So, because on open miracles, then there's no free will. No, no, it's obvious when Hashem is running the world, there's no free will, and then there'll be uh, no reward, no punishment, because when there's no free will, and you see Hashem standing in front of you, you have no choice but to eat a, a kosher pastrami sandwich. You're not going to have a, a basar lavan over there, like they do over there. You're not going to have that, because you have God standing in front of you. He's got maybe a shotgun or machine gun standing in front of you. Or if like a guy went into a uh, a Walmart, let's say, and he's a crook. He's a crooked guy. He got out of jail for whatever he did, and he's a shoplifter. But however, this time he goes into Walmart. There's a there's a private security guy, and he's got a badge on him, and he's got a little cap on him, and it says private security, and he has a gun. He has a gun in his in his holster. Now this guy is following right behind this shoplifter, and actually he actually took the gun out of his holster because he he has that mug shot of that shoplifter that he's going he's he's up to no good so he holds that gun now the shoplifter in that point does he have any any choice to shoplift his free will has been taken away because he doesn't want to get shot he doesn't want to get killed so hashem if he's standing so starkly in front of us then there's no choice there's no reward there's no punishment there's no olam there's no choice in the matter so that therefore hashem hides it in whatever he way he can even in small ways although Miracles are there. The whole world is wide open. The word, the whole world is Yoducha Hashem Kol Maasecha. All the all the deeds of Hashem are are bespeaking the glory of Hashem. However, he hides it in certain ways to let people fall. Yesharim Darche Hashem Sadikim Yelchubam Uposhim Yikashlubam. The ways of Hashem are righteous. They're straight. Yashar. They're straight. But those same words, Yesharim, Sadikim, Yelchubam, the Tzadik, he's going to go, he's going to flourish in those ways. He's going to see those ways and those miracles and those that righteousness, and he's going to become more righteous in those ways. But Ushaim Yekashlubam, but Asha is going to fall in the same ways. He's going to see those same ways that Hashem is doing, and he's going to corrupt it. He's going to make it corrupted, and he's going to, it's going to affect him negatively those same ways. So. You have to know Hashem tried to maintain the balance of free will. But at this stage of our nation's history, in preparation for Matan Torah, Hashem pulls out all the stops, and He comes out of hiding. It's an open demonstration, uh, in open demonstrations of the Ten Plagues, for example, at a culmination with the great miracle of Yamsuf. Oh, we're going to have an unbelievable miracle coming up. Next week's parasha, Yamsuf. Now that, He, can't, he couldn't hide that no matter what. <laughs> Yeah, he brought a wind, he brought the stick, he brought all that stuff. But it was it, it's impossible to hide. Because why? Because it only came crashing down on our enemies. When it closed up, only the Mitzrim were killed. No Yehudim were killed. By the way, also in the Eser Makot, only, only the Mitzrim were killed. The Yehudim weren't killed in the hail and in the, in, in, in the uh, grasshoppers and all the locusts 
the, the Udim were in Goshen. They were they were protected. So so we see that's also a miracle that we're protected because we're going to coming up to the Yam Suf. It's going to be very very open miracle, but it doesn't make a difference because Hashem wants is pulling out the stops to infuse the Emunah that we need to survive thirty three hundred years of oppression and galut. Don't think we it's, it's a long time ago, but it's in the genes. It's in the it's in the hard drive. All these miracles that Hashem did are in the hard drive, and we loyal Orthodox Torah Jews are still here. About one million of us are still growing. A million Orthodox Jews in the world. We're going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Some say less than a million, but let's say a million. Okay, fine. That's a million out of fifteen million Jews. Not too much. Not much at all. One million out of fifteen million. But the the million are growing, and the other fourteen million are shrinking. Without the you know. They're, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a known statistic. I'm not making it up. That the ones that are intermarrying are shrinking. And in America, we have a very large uh, percentage, 70 to 80%, something like that. So, so we should know that we are holding up, the Orthodox Jews are holding up the world. The ones that are keeping Torah, Mitzvot, Ma'asim Tovim, they're sending their, 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 their children to Yeshivot, public school, public school. You can't send your child to public school. That's a death trap public school is uh it's an abyss it's a it's a road it's it's a it's a road to uh to nowhere go to school with the public school and the public school mentality and uh sitting with the goyim and it's a well you have to the, whether it's uh, elementary public school or high school public school or college college is the same story that's uh that's a road to nowhere now today we have a very special day What's so special about today? Well, look outside. There's snow on the ground. Wow. That's a lot of fun. Snow on the ground. Now, first time, I don't remember the first time you saw snow when you were a little kid. It was like, wow, we where'd that snow come from? Why is it white? Where did it come from? Why is it floating down from the sky? Where a lot of mer- a lot of questions. And if it was a little bit, you know, a nice amount of snow, you asked your mother and father, Oh, I'd like to go play in the snow. I want to make a snowman out of it. I want to go have a snowball fight. It's a lot of fun to have snow. Even in Jerusalem, they have some snow sometimes over there in Jerusalem. But in Brooklyn, New York, we have snow regularly. It's a normal thing to have snow. Maybe if you're in Florida, you never saw snow. I'm sure you didn't. They don't have snow, too much snow in Florida that I know of. So we see snow today, and we're going to see it again. And it's very important to look at the snow. Because looking at the snow, you're gaining a munah The munah means sensory perception. Hashem is sending it down in order for you to gain that sensory perception. If we miss out and don't gain it, don't gain the don't gain the sensory perception, the emunah from our eyes looking and seeing the snow, that is white, first of all. Where'd the white come from? The rabbi used to say, is there a white factory up there with a pigment color in the sky? How did it get white? You know, rain is clear, and snow and rain is the same guy, same item. So how does it become white? This is a question. You have to ask yourself that question. Of course, the number one answer, I'm not giving you a scientific answer. I'm giving you a Shara Bechina answer. The answer would be, it's white. Why? In order for you to notice it. The rain, you don't even notice it. It's clear. You don't notice it. It comes down in a sheet. It's, it's also has another advantage to the snow. It doesn't come down in a sheet. The rain comes down in a sheet, and it could be harmful. It comes down too hard. It could, it could hurt the vegetation. So it comes down in a sheet, and then the water flows down the mountainside, but the, the, the snow comes down softly, and it doesn't 
and it just, then it just settles on the grass, and then it melts later on on the grass. So it melts nice and slow. Better than five rainfalls, that Masechetani tells you like that. Better than five of them. So we have to take advantage of the snow, the white snow, and uh, and uh, you have to know snow. Another reason is there's look, there's a, more reasons than I could tell you, but one of the reasons that the snow was white in order for it to melt slowly, white color refracts the sunlight. That's why if you if on a hot day you you wear uh, dark clothing, it feels very hot. It was a dark the dark clothing it absorbs the dark the, the the sunlight. But if you wear a nice white shirt, or if you're in the Bahamas, for example, you see the policemen out there. They're wearing white. Why are they wearing white? Because it's it's, it's it re, because it's hot down there, and there's a, there's a heavy sun. And in order for them to stay cool, they wear white. So why should white keep them cool? Because white color, Shem made it in such a way that it deflects or refracts the sunlight, and that's why the snow will melt more slowly and be a bigger boon for mankind for the grass to grow in a in a, in a more uh, perfect manner. Now. The snow, again, it floats down, let it remind you of the man. And it's interesting, you know, there's another way to look at it. You could say, hey, it's a mess, it's a messy snow, I gotta shovel it up. Well, we shouldn't miss that opportunity for gaining emunah. We have the big pasuk brought down at the beginning of the Chobot uh, Levavot by the Kohelet. Very big pasuk. Let's remember this pasuk because it's the sword of the emunah. Listen to the pasuk. Means in English, means to, to fear him, and it also means to fear him. No question, but Yiru also comes from the root word Lirot, to see, to be aware. So God made the whole world. He made the snow and all the other things in this world in order for you to be aware, aware of that He made it. He wants you to, be, he's making it in order to be aware that he made it. And it would be a waste, whatever, whether it's a tree or a leaf or a face or skin or the clouds or the blue sky or the gray sky or rain or snow. Hashem made everything in order for you to be aware of it. Hashem asa, shirum lefanav. Then says, yoducha Hashem komasecha. Another pasuk we should think about is with the snow. We're focusing on snow today, but it's not exclusive to the snow. How Rabu, how wonderful, how Rav, Rav, how grand, how great, your deeds are. You made them all with wisdom. The deep wisdom that has no boundaries, that has no kets, no bottom, the bottomless wisdom. The more you delve into the wisdom, you scratch the wisdom, you go under the wisdom, there's more wisdom under it and more and more. It's like there's more in, in, in nature, certainly. In nature, there's no end to the wisdom. Even this past that, you know, they, they scratched the science. They got to the atom. Now in the atom, where they have electrons and neutrons, they, they, they have under that, there's further wisdom under the, under the atom. Go under electrons and the neutrons. Is, they don't know how, with all that wisdom, they still have scientists that that, that are picosim. <laughs> they said they said it happened by mistake. It's impossible that you know that that there's no God that put this into play. Atoms and neutrons it revolves, rotates, and the whole the whole uh, universe. The universe testifies. So so we have to see the chokhmah. It's actually there. 
So there, whether you see it or not, there's a lot of chokmah. Wisdom is no, to no end. And certainly if you learn Gemara, you learn Torah, you'll see there's an unending chokmah in the Torah. Whether it's now an already regular chumash, the codes that are in the Torah. It's the, the, is it, to learn that subject, we had a, a big chacham called Rabbi Michal Dov Weismandel. Michal Dov Weismandel was during the Holocaust. And he was a big, giant genius. And he was able to extract many, many, many codes from the Torah using his mind. He didn't have a computer. Today with the computer, they, uh, they extract so many codes from the Torah. Right? What's the name of the rabbi? What's the name of the rabbi with the book that Alchemahitabrut? Zamir. Zamir Cohen. Zamir Cohen did a big study on the uh, codes of the Torah, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and this codes brings you to be mechazek and the emunah, to see there's no end to the chokmah that's inside of our Torah. And every letter, every letter, every word has chokmah. It's all, I just also can see the, the movie, Torah and Science, yeah, of Yosem uh, Mizrahi, Mizrahi. We did it uh, together. We are yeah. very proud to say it. It's great. The Torah and Science uh, CD, you should all be watching it and seeing it. As it brings out a lot of this chokmah. Uh, of the Torah codes, he brings out a lot of it. I, I just finished watching it; it was great. Um, so, so we're seeing this chokmah, and uh, we're, we're studying it right now with the snow. We say it on Shabbat. His greatness and his goodness fill the world, and his wisdom and his da'at. And this is what David Hamelech is saying. We read it every day in the prayers, but I want you to notice it, especially now when it's snowing. When it snowed, notice it every day. I stop every day when I say this. I heard this from Abigdan Miller. Literally, Hashem sends, He makes the sheleg, the snow, like it's wool. He gives us snow like it's wool. Question is, the rabbi asks, how could snow be like wool? Snow is cold. You touch it, it's cold snow. And wool, it's warm. But the truth is, the rabbi answers, he goes, is wool really warm? If you have a pile of wool, is it warm? You have a sweater on you. Touch your sweater, your coat. Is it really warm? The wool is not warm, in an, inherently warm in and of itself. It's not warm. The wool is insulating the warmth of your body. It's holding the warmth of your body in. Your body is warm. And the wool, because of its kinkiness, its kinky fibers, the wool has kinky fibers. They're not straight. They're kinky, like the wool on a sheep's back. It's not like linen, straight linen. It's kinky. That's how the rabbi, that's the word he used. And uh, that kinkiness would be more able to trap the warmth in the wool. The same way the, the snow also is not a flat snow, like a, like a rain. It's kinky. The snow has, it goes in and out. It's a, it's a fluffy, it's a fluffy snow. That fluffiness allows the snow to insulate the ground. That's a big thing. Because if there wasn't, ins that insulation is keeping the ground alive. The ground is, the soil is not dirt. The soil is alive. There is, Rabbi, one time I was walking with the rabbi on Ocean Parkway, and he stopped and he showed me the soil on the side. He said, you know, there is more life in one tablespoon of soil than all of the names in the New York City phone book. You hear that? That's what he told me. More life. I'm sure he wasn't exaggerating either. He, he never, he didn't exaggerate. He, oh, more life, more bacteria, more fungi, more all kinds of things going in on in that soil, whether it's earth forms, all, all kinds of life that's be, be, is, is under the microscope. Life, 
in all the names in the New York City. There's millions and millions of bits of life in, a, in, in, in soil. And in, if, it, if it gets very, very cold out, uh, you know, too many cold days, if it's icy, it's iced up, it can uh, hurt or kill the life that's in the soil. So Hashem brings the snow, and the snow insulates the soil, keeps the heat of the soil, keeps it in. So to keep the soil alive. And that's a tremendous miracle. You should think about that, especially on a snowy day, a little snow on the ground like today. The snow is also very pretty. You have to know that's not a small thing. Hashem is beautifying the world. You see a little bit of snow on the trees. It's very pretty. It's like a new, nice, brand new suit. Brand new suit on the trees, on the ground. Nice white suit. It's a very, very pretty thing to see. And we just say, and this is all in order that we should gain the da'at. All these things, we have to gain the da'at. There'll be a waste of snow not to gain the da'at. You know, we have uh, the freezing uh, air. We have very cold air. It's in the 20s today. And it's not good for your lungs, especially if you uh, enter directly from the air, goes right into your lungs. If you breathe through your mouth, let's say, and that cold air goes right into your lungs, it's not good. In fact, today, a lot of people have, uh, some people gaining pneumonia, some people have a upper, upper respiratory infection, some people have a flu. Some of it, a lot of it is uh, uh, being made worse, even worse from cold weather cold air going directly into the lungs. That's why when a person goes outside in the cold weather, he shouldn't breathe through his mouth. You hear now? Don't breathe through your mouth. You should breathe through your nose. It's better. Must breathe through your nose. Your nose has so many functions, and some of them have not yet even been discovered, but they've been... All, in, all the functions of the nose and of the body are benevolent. It's kindly. Now, first of all, notice that the nose is situated in the middle of your face and right above your mouth. Now, on all faces, on all humans, you can go from one side of the world to the other side of the world. You won't find any noses in the middle of somebody's forehead. And no noses will be on the back of the guy's head. But they're all right in the middle of the face, right where they should belong to be, right where they've been designed to be. It's a design. It's a tremendous design. It's a, it's a design beyond our understanding. But like anything in the body, the body has been designed by the great designer. Now, it was only these... The, the, the uh, scientists of old, the Apikorsim that didn't believe in God, they, they felt that, hey, what's in the body, maybe it doesn't belong there. But they didn't realize that God put it there, like the tonsils. Oh, they had a lot of tonsils. They don't take out tonsils anymore today. Very rare. Very, very rare. My tonsils were taken out when I was, I don't know, three, four years old. Uh, in the old days, they took them out right away. They took them out. They had millions of tonsillectomies were done for no reason in our country and in, in Canada as well. But they found out later on, they, why? Because it's, a, it's, a, it's an arrogance of the scientists, an arrogance of the doctors. They say, they come along and say, you don't need that in your body. Why? Because they don't believe that God put it in your body. If, if they believe that God put it in the body, the one that made the body, put it in the body, must be God knows what he's doing. If he put it in the body, he knows what he's doing. Right? So, so they proceeded to take these out. Later on, they uh, did Teshubah. And they realized, the, the, the scientists, that, that these tonsils were, net, were, were good for the body, that it's part of the lymph system, L-Y-M-P-H, lymph system, which uh, disposes of carcinogens that are in the blood, the, the best place, you know what's the best place to pose it? In the mouth. You spit it out. 
disposed in the mouth, and there's also some uh, chemicals in the mouth that can kill them as well. So, so they were excreted through the tonsils in the mouth. So that was that was the, the design that they found with the, ton, the tonsils doing all good things. Same thing with the appendix. Now they also the rabbi told they wanted to get rid of the pituitary gland. Now pituitary gland is the master gland that controls it controls the uh, the body. They thought maybe it has no purpose, but thank God they didn't get in. They didn't uh, go that far to get rid of the pituitary gland. So, so, so all you listeners out there, anything in your body has been put in there by God. He made the body. He is all wise, all kind. So be very, very hesitant. I'm sure the doctors are. The doctors are today much more hesitant to remove anything from the body that 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 uh, doesn't necessarily must 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 be removed. Don't remove anything, even. Even molars, even certain teeth, be careful. Look, get a second opinion. Because, because if God put them in there, must be you need them. Okay. So now, we're saying that the, the nose is right in the middle of the face. And why is it in the, and it's, it's standing guard over your mouth, that nose. And uh, why? Because uh, if something smells bad, uh, you shouldn't be putting it into your mouth. The nose is a guard. It smells bad. Oof. You smell uh, spoiled milk. Oof, smells bad. Spoiled piece of meat. Spoiled piece of cheese. Big question is, why should spoiled milk smell bad? Why doesn't it smell? Why doesn't it smell great? That's a big question. So we see all the spoiled stuff is bad for you. So it must be a plan. It was planned like that. This didn't happen just like that. And it smells bad because whoever made it like that doesn't want you to put it in your mouth. You're going to get a stomachache. Maybe you'll get food poisoning. So you see over here a great design unbelievable design in throughout creation that we can't deny it can't deny it something smells bad see a, a dead carcass on the floor uh, could be a, a mouse or a cat or whatever it smells terrible why because god wants you to stay away from it and the worst smelling thing there is is a dead body it smells terrible because hashem wants you to stay very there's a tumah there he wants you to stay very far very very far away from that thing it's anything that smells bad God wants you to stay very far away from it. And where does he put the nose to smell it? Right in the middle of your face, in the front. So the nose had a lot of good things that's going on for, with the nose. Many, many. Just a couple other good things is that, first of all, your nose has two nostrils. If one of them gets stuffed, you can still breathe from the second one. It's good. It's a good item. And the nose, it sticks out from your, fa from your face. It's a good thing. You have somewhere to put your glasses on. Now, you might think that's funny, but it's not funny. Another thing about the nose, very important, that has hairs. There's hairs in the nose. And there's mucus in the nose. That's good for a day like today. And, therefore, it doesn't go directly into your lungs. The air don't go directly. The hair warms it up. And it goes in concentric circles, that air. Before it goes into your lungs, it's warming and warming. And, and the mucus takes out the, any kind of dirt in the air. All these contrivances is the word. Tachulot, or contrivances that... Hashem has put in these stratagems. These designs are something we have to be thankful for. I can go through his whole life and not even see one of these things. But let's take advantage of them. The duch, and we say, he's saying, uh, He made all these things in order for us to be aware of them. Now, one last chidush on the nose. It's a cute chidush, but listen to it, because they're all, all these details are true, and they'll make you gain even more immunah. And then when a, when a mother brings the baby home, an infant home from the hospital, baby's a helpless, a little baby, a little infant, and the mother puts the baby in the crib, 
and puts the, the blanket over the baby and the baby's sleeping on his uh, stomach, let's say. And in the morning, the mother gets up, let's say, and uh, what happened? The baby turned over. But the blanket is sitting now on the face of the baby. The mother's panicking. Maybe they oh, hope, the, hope the blanket didn't suffocate the baby. But then we have to know that the design of the nose is holding up the blanket and the nostrils are pointing sideways. So the baby's still able to breathe. That blanket is not suffocating the baby. The, the, the nose isn't a flat nose like a pig's nose with the nostrils standing straight. Then it might be a dangerous thing. But the fact is that the, 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 that, that the nose in its design is even helping the baby. Now, let's talk about the parashah. We're talking about the, the plague of Arbeh. Arbeh is the locust. Now, the Midrash talks, tells us that the hail already destroyed, destroyed all of the crops and the food of Egypt. So when the people, the Egyptians heard that Moshe is going to bring the locusts and they're going to infest Egypt, they were very happy. You know why? Because that's, they eat that stuff. They eat the grasshoppers. They eat the ma'usnings. You know, the rabbi says, I think in the Gemara, that if the Torah was just given to us that we shouldn't eat grasshoppers and, uh, and snails and shrimps and uh, crabs, it would be worthwhile just for that because we're not, it, it, would up, it makes us a holy nation that we don't eat those kinds of, uh, uh, those kind of ugly foods. They also have, you know, there's powers in those. But however, those foods are, they're not, they're not good for the Jewish neshama. But to the, the other neshamot, they, they're good. They feed them for the goyish neshama. They don't, they're not that sensitive and uh, they can uh, eat those things. They can even thank God for those things. But we're special. We're going kadosh. And that also separates us. It's a havdalah. It separates us from the guyim. So we thank Hashem for that. Shalom asani goy. So over here, the Egyptians were happy. They're going to eat the locust. They're going to have a good... They took out the ketchup. They took, they said, Mom, take the ketchup up from the fridge there. We, well, we, have, we have the locusts are coming in tonight. We're going to have fried grasshoppers. Oh, so one, one problem. They, so, they fry, so they're going to have it. But the, they put the grasshopper in their mouth. They go, ah, what happened? The grasshopper had very sharp teeth, Midrash tells us. Very sharp teeth. The grasshopper ate them. Sharp teeth and sharp antlers. They were like uh, horns. And, and not only that, they were poisonous. So, so the Egyptians couldn't even have a, a nice grasshopper uh, sandwich. They couldn't even have that. So that was more suffering for the Egyptians. And don't feel bad for them. These are Nazis. They're Nazis. Don't feel bad for them. They deserved it. And they get, they're getting it till today. Don't, they're not getting it. They didn't get away with it just with that. Then they were drowned in the sea, and they were put to the bottom. They were put up and down. And some people want to say, well, isn't Shem, uh, doesn't he forgive benevolent? No. If you touch a Jew, if you're mean to a Jew, if you torture a Jew, Hashem says, you're touching my children, I'm going to kill your children. I'm going to kill you. That's an axiom, by the way. If you, they killed or they hurt even the firstborn of Hashem, and what does Hashem do? I kill your firstborn. Don't be squeamish now. That's the story. That's what it is. I'm not saying it. Hashem says it. So now, the Egyptians... Haro now cried out to Moshe and he says, please forgive my sins. He wants to make Teshubah and pray to us to remove this death. Mavet. And Mavet, as he calls the plague of Abbea Mavet. Now, the plague of darkness comes along, the Hoshech. Of course, Hashem hides it like he's hiding all the miracles. Hashem hides every miracle. You know, the biggest miracle, one of the biggest miracles Hashem is hiding, he's hiding it every day. Every day Hashem hides the, one of the biggest miracles in the world. That's light. Yotzer Or. 
Or is the biggest miracle in the world. One candle lights up half the world. Unbelievable thing. One light bulb is lighting up half of this earth. Then the earth turns around. The other half gets the light. Not only light, it gets the heat. Not only heat, it gets the vitamins. It's getting everything. The Rabbi Miller would tell us, you know, with your, when you eat a tomato, a potato, anything you're eating, you're, you're eating the light. You're eating the energy of the sun. You're eating sun energy. When you're talking, you're talking with sun energy. You're walking, you're walking with sun energy. I'm sure he knows what he's talking about, the rabbi. He's not just making it up. So, so that's how powerful the sun is. So, but the sun, with all of its power, Hashem created the sun, we know, on the third day. The sun, the moon, and the stars. And, and he created the light along with the sun. Right? So Hashem is hiding the light with the sun. Because if he just, he doesn't need, I think God needs the sun. He don't need the sun. He could have a whole world with light without the sun. What does he need the sun for? The sun is hiding the miracle of the light. That's a, a you know, it's a deepish thought, but let's say it one more time. The whole world is full with light. Now that, that light provides vitamins and light and heat. Now Hashem doesn't need anything. He could just have the world with light providing all those things without any medium, without any middleman. He didn't need the sun to do that. Hashem is the Kol Yachol. He could do everything. But Hashem elected to bring a son. Why? Because he doesn't want you to think that, that the, he's bringing the son because he's bringing the son to hide the source of the light. Otherwise, it's an open miracle that the light is coming from nowhere. And that will cause a loss of free will. So you have a free will to think if it's coming from the sun or is it coming by itself. That's your free choice. So if you point at the sun one day and say, I know, you can't fool me. I know that that light is coming from behind the sun. It's coming without. The sun is only hiding the miracle. Then you pass the test. Then you've used your free will. That's the same thing with all these miracles. You don't need the stick to hit the ocean, to create it into blood. Just hiding the miracle. And you don't need the wind to bring the, uh, the locust. Neither. But it's hiding the miracle to give people a chance to gain emuna or lose emuna. Some people could just say, hey, it wasn't, it's not, it wasn't the, the locust. Some people say, look, Locusts came because of the wind. Well, they could even say, it can go so far, the, the sea split because of the wind. The wind came all night. It brought a heavy wind. Now, you got to be out of your mind to think that to think that the wind's going to split the sea. you got to be de delusionary. And then, how are you going to explain that the wind stopped and the sea just crashed down only on the Egyptians? You can't explain that. That's uh, unexplicable. So, but there are certain people, no matter what, they don't, they don't want to believe, and they'll, they'll uh, even till today, there are people. Yeah. Some people, you know, we know that the Six Day War and all these kind of war were open miracles, basically. But uh, you know, there are people that went right to the unkosher restaurant right, right after that. They say it's a miracle. It's a miracle. So why don't they flock to the yeshiva, go to the shul, go pray, go thank Hashem? It's many did. Many did. Many made. There was a lot of big uh, movement of uh, Baalei Teshuvah at that time, but some of them didn't get the uh, message and they uh, and they missed out the opportunity. So over here, the plague of darkness. This miracle brought the Bnei Israel to a higher level of emunah. It was a ninth vitamin pill. The Egyptians could not move, and the Jews still not take any anything that was not belonging to them. They showed their honesty. At this time, Hashem separated four-fifths of the Jews who were not on a high enough level to merit Yitzhak Yitzrayim and Matan Torah. who's been sifting since the world was created. Hashem wants the gold, only the best. And we must all make sure 
our children and our families stay on top of the sifter, until, especially today. Today, there's a lot of sifting going on in America. Who's going to get out of America when the Mashiach comes? We're nobody sure who's going to get out of America. So we have to make sure we send them to the best schools and have the best friends because one wrong step, and who knows uh, if you're going to get another step, another chance today. Yeah, it's very, very hard to get another, another chance, two chances. So, so that brings us to the Pesukim verses on the Choshech. It says, the Choshech HaPenetehom. There's other, many Pesukim on Choshech, right? It says in Bereshit, the Choshech HaPenetehom. There's another Pasuk we say in the Barachin uh, Avshi, in the Tehilim. Kashet Choshech Bihilayla, Botir Mosko Chaito Ya'ar. Well, the first one, Choshech HaPenetehom, and the darkness is on the, on the, on the is, is floating HaPenetehom on the, on the, it's hovering, hovering on the on the on the on the waters. Hashem choshech vahilayla. Hashem brings darkness and it becomes night. And in the nighttime, all the all the criminals come out at nighttime. Also, Hashem creates the light, and He creates darkness. It's up to us to see one or the other. The world is composed of darkness. Of darkness. Sometimes you can't see darkness. Is a few things. Mr. Hashem explains. Sometimes you can't see what is ahead. Darkness, it's dark, you don't know what's in front of you. Number two, darkness, you see incorrectly. Another kind, you see something, but you don't know exactly what you're seeing. You're seeing it the wrong way. And the third one is, you're in denial of the darkness. You're saying, it's okay. I'm in denial. There's no darkness over here. Not a problem to go do this. It's okay. You're in denial. The first stop, first step for us is to admit it. Admit that there is a darkness, that it's a test. Choshech is darkness, and of course the light for us is the Torah. We come to the tremendous subject of Korban Pesach. Let me explain now. Korban Pesach, the rabbi tells us that we have to make a Shechidah on the uh, God of the Egyptians, and uh, of course it's, it's one of the only two misfort. I say if you don't do it, you get the uh, Karet. But the Korban Pesach, you have to notice it's the first time that in the history of mankind that the whole, that any Korban was eaten. And we know that Adam made korbanot, and even the goyim made korbanot, but they never ate there to eat from the korban. They always burnt the whole thing up. Over here, Hashem tells the Jewish people, I want you to make a korban Pesach, and I want you to eat from the korban Pesach. Eat from it. So, this is, he's making a, a tremendous uh, declaration that you Jew, you body of the Jew, normally the korban is only burnt up on the Mizbeach, on the altar. Hashem said, you, holy Jew, you're no less than a holy altar. You have to know who you are. When you put that meat in your mouth, you are, I'm making, Hashem is telling the Jew that you are holy like a Mizbeach. No less holy, but of course you got to act that way, but that's because that's who you are. Now, big question is like this, by the, by the Makape Chorot, Hashem says, get in your houses and close the door, put the blood on the door, and close that door. So the big question, Rabbi, how is it going to close the door, going to help you against the mashchit? Malach HaMavet is a malach. And by the Mitzrim, he went through the doors and he killed the, the Jewish, uh, he killed the firstborn Egyptians. So if the Jews close the door, can't the same Malach HaMavet go through the, how is that going to save us from the mashchit? The mashchit goes through doors. That's the big question. So the big answer is a giant answer for the ages. Listen to this answer. The answer is that you cannot, and they could not, and they did not close the door on the Malach the Mashchit. They couldn't close that door. It goes under the door. 
what they did was they showed Hashem and they showed themselves that they were closing the door on the culture of the Egyptians. When you close the door then and for the last 3,300 years on the culture of the Goyim, that's going to save you from the mashchit, from the malachamavet that's operating all these years through assimilation and destruction and sicknesses also, all kinds of things. When you close the door, the culture of the goyim, that you don't want to emulate them, you don't want to be together with them, you don't want to marry with them, you don't want to have nothing to do with their thought process. That is our salvation, by closing the door on them, on the goyim, on their culture. Now, the Torah tells us that the night of Makapahu, we got to get out of the, get out of the way, get out of town. So, the big question is, how, they didn't do anything wrong. What did they get out of town for? So, here's the big answer, and we'll we'll finish it. This answer, it's a tremendous thought. Um, the Rashi brings us from the Gemara, Mishum Shenatan Reshul Mashkid Enom Avchim Ben Sadik Rashad, like this. When Hashem gives permission for the destroyer let loose, when there's a plague coming to town, like Rambam says, get out of town. But I didn't do anything wrong. I'm the Chafetz Chaim. What do I got to get out of? I, I didn't do nothing wrong. Why should I be hurt? It's a big question. Why should I be hurt? Why? When Hashem destroyed the two temples and he made many other destructions in the world. Hashem made them. I don't want to break the news to you, but Hashem brought Hitler. So, you know, in Hitler's time, a lot of Sadiqim were destroyed. A lot of them. Now, we're not going to come on to that. There's no Sadiq. Everybody has a sin. Forget about that for now for a second. Plenty of Sadiqim were destroyed. And also in the Khurbanot. So the answer is like this. Why? Why? It says, we just said in the Gemara that the God doesn't, the Mashiach doesn't differentiate between the Sadiq and the Rasha. They're all going to die. The question is, why not? Why should he Mavchid? Hashem should differentiate the Sadiq. Why should he suffer along with the Rasha? Big question. Question for the ages. And Ramil is giving a big answer, not the, it's, it's, it's an answer. And the answer is like this because the, 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 the most crucial element that Hashem has put in our world is free will. Without free will, you got nothing. There's no reward, no punishment. It's not a world. So Hashem has put that element of that you have, you can choose. Even Adam HaRishon, choose. You can eat from the fruit of the tree or don't eat from the fruit of the tree. He made the wrong choice. He ate from it. But we have to have that choice. So if Hashem made it, that only the tzaddikim would stand. He brought a plague to the town. And only in that plague, only the tzaddikim would stand and we'd be saved. And only the Rashaim, they would be, they would, it would perish, there would be no test, because then we, it's an wide-open miracle. And then even the Rishayim will come to Shul on Saturday, Monday, for the Tepelina, because they say, hey, I see it's wide open that Hashem is in the world. So Hashem in order cannot do that. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to break his rules. So even at the expense, and this is hard to say, but even at the expense of Sadiqim perishing, although Hashem did save a lot of many Sadiqim in the Holocaust by way of miracles, but but even at that expense, in order to maintain free will in the world, Hashem will not discern between the Sadiq and the Rasha. This is a very big principle that we're teaching you today. If we could just squeeze in one more idea, the Tefillin, Tefillin, we say we put it on every day. We have the Mitzvah at the end of the parasha, and we see it's a sign on your arm and a sign on your head. But what have we got to be thinking about? Shetetzeh Torah Mepicha. Tefillin is, is to remind you of learning of Torah. And also, of course, Tefillin, like all the other mitzvot that we're learning over here, is bringing to us to the great realization of the great yesod of Torah and of Judaism is Zecher Letziat Mitzrayim. Have a great day and enjoy the snow out there.